Well, good morning. It's great to see you, great to be back with you. Kind of excited uh, uh, to be back here and uh, just full of gratitude. Thankful to Scott and Mark who, uh, who spoke the last couple of weeks. Uh, pray for them, uh, Mark uh, Milbrick and, and some of the team from our missions committee down in Costa Rica right now with our partner down there uh, serving and connecting with them. And then uh, Scott, his wife Sandy, our children's pastor, and, and uh, one of our elders, Jeff and, and Mindy Pettit, are down in the Philippines doing a discipleship training. So we want to pray for them in just a moment and keep them uh, in our prayers this week as they're serving. Uh, so grateful to them. Uh, I, I had the opportunity, as some of you know, you know to speak at our kind of a, a, like a grandchild church in, in many ways in Belfast, Ireland, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so we were over on that side, and, and last Sunday, I got a chance to watch the service uh, from Galway Bay. Uh, we pulled off and, and was looking over there, and, and it came in very clear and very strong, and it just felt like it was right there. And so I just have to say thanks to our media team who makes that happen every week. Uh, I'll tell you, you guys appreciate them, I know too. Especially this time of the year when we're traveling on vacation, and you know you can tune in anywhere, anytime. Uh, you know, as long as you do the math and know uh, the time zone. I was eight hours beyond, so we had to do a little bit of math, but I really appreciate those guys a lot. I'm full of gratitude. I, got, I, say, I didn't say this last service, but this morning I got to watch my daughter preach her first sermon uh, back in Indiana at the Madison Park Church, and uh, again, doing the math three hours ahead, so that nine o'clock service was at six o'clock this morning. Uh, I watched the 10.30 service. Uh, <laughs> But I was, I was just so proud and just, I, man, it just means something to watch your kids serving the Lord and speaking on his behalf and, and giving him glory for, for what he's doing. So I don't know, it's just a great day and I'm glad you're here. We're going to be in John chapter 17. Uh, if you want to begin to turn there in a moment, ushers are standing by with some Bibles to make available if you'd like to u- use them today. Uh, you know, as, as, as we approach this, uh, this week, I just, I, I kind of want to just lay this out there. You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, it, just in the spirit of transparency. You know, when you come back from a trip like this and you're eight hours behind, I got back on Tuesday and had back-to-back-to-back meetings that took me into the, the evening. And I was looking up at the clock about 10 o'clock and thinking, you know, it's six in the morning, man. I'm fading quick. And, and I, I kind of felt that. Um, and must, you know, part of the trip that I was on, I, it was a study break, and so I was, a lot of the, the thoughts and, and ideas and preparations were for several weeks and months down the road and for the coming year and our teaching and just discerning what God is saying and doing here. And, and so you get back, and now, you know, hey, we're on this weekend, and I have, to, I have to really be honest with you. You know, I'm stepping into one of the most challenging times relationally that I can remember uh, in, in my journey and a real difficult situation, and, and you knew you were going to have some tough meetings, some heavy meetings, uh, and, and you're just looking to the Lord and depending upon Him for His grace and for His love, uh, you know, to, to just approach this. And then I look on the counter, and I'm preaching on unity this weekend. And this is a preacher thing. And you, I don't often say this, but every time I preach on a topic or a subject, you know, you got to live it first before you can, you can teach it or else you're an imposter. And, and this is probably of all the times you, you feel that way in a, in a very real sense, a very tangible sense. And, you know, I looked at the elders Tuesday night and I said, there's any volunteers who would like to preach this message this weekend? <laughs> I didn't get any, obviously. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, but, 
But I just, I always trust the Lord in these times. So I say, I say this to you because this message probably as much as any that I ever preach is, is for this guy right here. And uh, if you can pick up something from it, then praise the Lord. We'll pray for it and, and uh, trust him for that. But, um, but I, I just look to him in, in times like this because this is life. This is real life. And I want to be real. Uh, and I want you to know there's times when you, you, just, you just need that little extra bit of encouragement and support from the Lord and, and just to trust him. You know, for all of us, and, and your leaders, I think a lot of them are, are in this with me. And, and just, just pray for your leaders these days because we're just keeping our eyes on him and trusting him. I just have to believe in my heart that God is up to something, and it's something good. Uh, otherwise, the enemy wouldn't be pushing back the way that he is. I, I, that's the way I look at things. So I think this message is very timely. This was set up weeks ago, so the convergence of this is only the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray and trust that uh, he's going to speak to us through these verses and that we can, uh, we can glean what he has for us. So can we do that? Lord, we just call upon your name uh, this morning and thanking you for times like this where your spirit is clearly at work. I thank you for that. I thank you that we can discern that, detect that, that it's laid out there for us. I just pr pray that we have eyes and ears and hearts to be able to apply uh, what you teach us e individually because I think there's some things for us personally that you want to say, but also collectively as a church and as a community of faith. So we commit this time to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We, are, uh, we are in the last message in a series that we kicked out uh, the 1st of July, and we've been following Jesus' prayer. We call this the high priestly prayer. It's probably most appropriate to call the Lord's Prayer because this is him praying for us and for what's ahead. We call the Lord's Prayer really the model that, that we, we're supposed to be. That's really the disciples' prayer. But um, the, as we walk through this, if you haven't been here each of the weeks, the first uh, few verses of Stuart and Amanda laid out for us that this is about knowing him, about the eternal life that's wrapped up in the knowledge of Christ here and now, not, not on the other side of the grave, but here and now. That next week I laid out for you the purpose, because in verse four Jesus says, I've accomplished the things you called me to do. You, you set me out here to do these. And often we think that's the work of the cross, and certainly that was a work that he did, but that word was before he went to the cross. So the accomplishment had to be behind him, which we believe was the discipling, or the, the guys that he, he poured into for three years. And much what we're called to do is to make disciples. And so that's the work he called to, to accomplish. He also said, I came to seek and save the lost. And you know, one of the beautiful things, I'll just, say, I'll just share it, just listening to Tyrone this morning and our partnership that we've had over the years and the opportunities like this, uh, if you were here that week that I shared last uh, three weeks ago, I said, God is kind of laying on our heart to begin to shift toward an external focus. We've got some things in place here now to help people grow into maturity, and, and we've got kind of the systems in place, and now I think he's postured us to make a huge impact in our community, and this is one opportunity um, that's, that's, that fits that perfectly, just right around the corner, and, and these kids that, uh, that Tyrone has, has relationship with, and we can partner with them in, in that way. That's what it looks like. Uh, Scott and, and Mark uh, dealt with chapter, uh, well, dealt with verses uh, 6 and then through 19. The shift goes from Jesus' prayer for himself in the first five verses, and then 6 through 19, he's starting to pray for those disciples, those 12 that, were, that, were, that came out, and, um, and just for their relationship and their future and all that. So this last piece, this last segment, verse 20 through 26, he's now shifting gears 
toward those generations that will go beyond those immediate disciples. And, and friends, that's us. Uh, that's us in this room right now. His prayer that we're gonna read this morning is for you and for me today and all the generations to come that have come. So let's read it together and then, then we'll have a word of prayer. He says in verse 20, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe. There you go. He says, through, uh, believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also might be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. That's been the title of our whole, whole series, perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me might be in them and I in them. You know, as, uh, as we look at this uh, this morning, we, uh, we see a prayer kind of laid out, and now he's concluding. I don't know when this prayer took place, but, um, but it could have been in the upper room. It could have been halfway between there and the Kidron Valley on the way up to Gethsemane. But these disciples listened to this. They recorded this uh, for us. And now it kind of, kind of comes to this crescendo. And in my preparations this week, I was uh, reading uh, one of the pieces called uh, Prayer for Unity by Ray Steadman. And in, in Ray's thought, he said he was relating this more like a, it was like a military action, okay? In fact, that phrase that I put at the top of your notes, he said, Jesus' prayer encompasses a, like a blueprint to recapture a rebellious planet for God. And uh, he, he, re he likened this to a conversation he had with a military leader. And in that process, this military leader is describing situations where there was a mission, a particular mission, uh, you know, during, um, during wartime. And he said there would be three things that were always, uh, they were focusing on. So the first one would be the objective. The objective, which is, you know, take this hill or, or this is, this is the, the focus, this is what we have to do, okay, that's the objective. The second thing is the strategy, which is the process or the procedure in or, order to bring about that objective, that's the strategy. And then the third thing he mentioned was the tactics. Those are the specific maneuvers that are gonna serve the strategy that are gonna serve the objective. Now this is nothing new. There's probably even some military folks in the room that you say, yeah, you know, that's it. But when I saw this overlaid on this chapter, I just thought to myself, in light of everything else, I just thought, you know what? I, I, I really can't improve much on that outline and so I'm gonna today borrow that, those three things in that outline and we're gonna walk through this six verses of this prayer and just look at those, those three aspects as it lays out. So I just wanted to say up front that I'm leaning heavily upon that, that source uh, this morning. 
But it's kind of exciting to see as it lays out. So if you've got your notes in front of you, look at the first one, and that, that would be the objective. What is the objective that Jesus is presenting out there? It's not only in verse 21, but also in verse 23. Twice he says this, that the objective is that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world will believe that you've sent me. Verse 23 says, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Okay? And so it's, it's pretty clear that what Jesus says, our task is, is, is hopefully take what we know and what we have come to believe into the world. That's where this takes place, is in the world, because there's darkness, there's blindness, they don't know, they resist. Take this message in such a way that the objective is they're gonna believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You and I have all had conversations, I'm sure, with somebody who is not a believer, right? You know how that goes. Yeah. And they got all their objections or their defenses. They, maybe they've been hurt in the past or, uh, you know, and you, you try to look for a gentle way or uh, uh, just an open door to introduce them. But what, what really is your objective? When we use the word evangelism, does that send a shiver kind of down your spine a little bit? I mean, be honest with yourself. You get this picture of knocking on a door, cold turkey, and then them slamming the door in your face, right? Because you're one of those, right? I mean, it's just, it's just like, a, like a hard word sometimes to embrace. And it's why, you know, just in this same piece that I, I heard, uh, heard mentioned, you know, the de definition that kind of rose out of the World Evangelism Conference, and I like this definition, uh, world evangelism is the attempt to give every man an opportunity to make an intelligent choice of whether to receive or reject Jesus Christ. Think about that a moment. Just to give them the opportunity to choose. Friends, you cannot make the decision for them. We got a phrase we use a lot around here. There's God's part, there's our part, and there's their part. You can't do their part for them. They're the ones that have to make the decision. But our part is to give them the opportunity uh, to make an intelligent choice to reject or receive Christ. That's all we can do, isn't it? To present that to them. They're not rejecting us. They're not rejecting you. It's Christ that we're presenting. That's why Paul said in Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know that that gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who will believe in it. And so that's the objective is, is uh, is to present that in a way to where they come to believe that Jesus is divine, that he is the Son of God. That's it. We can't save them, but, but that, that's what we present. So I want to spend most of the time on this strategy and, and then later on, on these tactics. What is the strategy? And this is, this is where, quite honestly, it might catch us off guard a little bit. There are so many things Jesus could have prayed for in this prayer to carry about that or to serve that objective, right? To get the world to know. What was his strategy? Well, I think he's made it clear multiple times as he prayed this, the strategy sounds like this, verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also might be in us so that the world might believe that you've sent me. He says, I've given to them that they might be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Do you think he's getting, getting it clear through what, is a, what, 
his, his ideas are of how to serve that objective, what is it? That we be one. We use the word unity to describe that, but there's, there's some dynamic there that he's saying, if you do this, then that's what the world is going to see, and it's ultimately going to lead to them being convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Would it be safe to infer that if you don't see this unity, this oneness, that our testimony might be impacted to the world that is watching? So is it any wonder that our adversary or the enemy does everything that he can do to not allow this to happen? Just think about that. That's his, that's his, that's his agenda, is to, is to separate and divide. And so Jesus is praying for that, and as I watch this prayer, and as I walk you through it, um, it, it, it apparently in Jesus' heart as he's praying this, it goes back to those immediate guys that he was with. And let me take you there just for a moment. Verse 11, because now he, in that section, what Mark and, and Scott had talked about, that, that he's zeroing in on those disciples that were with him for three years. And if you look, uh, if you look literally at verse 11, he says, I'm no longer in the world, but they're going to be in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father, but keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He's praying for these guys. Now, guys, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but those disciples, those 12 disciples, they, they had issues. There were some tensions, let's just say, between them. How do I know? Well, Scripture recorded it. Remember the occasion when... <laughs> When uh, John and James pulled Jesus to the side and they said, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> That's pretty audacious, isn't it? And Jesus just must have smiled and he said, what do, you, what do you want? And they said, would you determine that one of us could sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left hand? And, uh, and, he, and he, again, I don't know if he smiled or not, but I can just see him. And he said, you don't even know what you're asking for. Could you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? But you know, after all, this really isn't mine to, to grant to you. But then there's an interesting little record there. It says that the other 10 disciples watched all this and they were indignant at, at these two guys. You know why? Probably because they got to Jesus before they could get to Jesus, asking him the same thing. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 that's, that's, that's a suspicion, but... I don't think it's probably far off. They couldn't believe that these guys were, were doing this and jockeying for position that way. They had tensions. I mean, just a few hours before Jesus is praying this in the upper room, John records in chapter 13 that when they walked in the room for this very special Passover feast that Jesus is gonna lay the whole thing out and all that, they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. And that's why Jesus modeled the, for them getting up from the table and washing their feet so that they would be, have a lasting impression of what this really is all about. These guys had issues and tension. And he's saying, oh God, Father, help these guys to become one because we know this testimony is going to rest upon that relationship that they have with one another. So here's, here's the point. He starts with the disciples individually but now it's going to shift into all future generations, and that's what this part of the prayer is talking about. It's going to move into all these, these subsequent generations. And he's saying the testimony of God's people is going to rest on their ability to, to be one and to manifest that.
That's the light that's going to shine, that's going to convince them Jesus is the Son of God. I, I have just come from a place of the world that is, uh, that is infamous for, for its chaos, division, conflict, uh, and that is Northern Ireland. And, you know, I had to brush up a little bit on my history, but, but there were some moments that we had there. If you were here three weeks ago, Brian Ingram, our partner from Glasgow, Scotland, uh, had shared with you their ministry, and, and he's been a partner of ours for uh, well, well over 15 years, so we feel kind of a hand in that, that birth of that ministry, and now they've birthed this church in Belfast, Ireland, just two years old. And so Josh, the pastor there, was preaching over in Glasgow while, while Brian was over here, and so I was invited to preach at the Belfast Church in Josh's absence. But I got to, uh, Nett and I got to spend some time with them uh, before the week, and I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is Josh and his wife, Ruth, uh, and their young family. And where we were at there was in downtown Belfast, and it's not really a mall, but it's the main shopping area. The streets aren't active, and people walk, uh, you know, from the shop to shop. Well, they have this glass tower. And just moments before we took this picture, Josh pointed out to the west, which would be right behind you in the foreground, and he said, that's where the Catholics live. That's the Catholic section. And then he went to the opposite area, the east, and then somewhat to the south, and he says, says that's the Protestant section. And, and I said, so, so is there still viable tension? He says, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's still very, very real. It's settled down some, they call them the troubles. That's, that's all they call them, tr- the troubles. And as I do my research and, and find out how deep this goes, friends, this goes hundreds of years deep. Sometimes we talk about the Middle East and you know, that conflict, that goes back thousands of years and you still see it playing out. But these are deep, deep-rooted issues. The Catholics that are there would consider them part of the Republic of Ireland. They want just one Ireland, uh, apart from the UK, apart from England, who's had oversight or whatever you want to call it for them for centuries, right? And in 1922, they carved out six counties in the north that stayed with the UK, but then, then the, the southern part became the Republic of Ireland, which is predominantly Catholic. It's not that there aren't evangelical church, but that's predominantly Catholic. So it's not so much a religion thing, it is just a deep-seated conflict that they have with each other. And in the midst of this, just a few blocks from there, they've planted a church called Rehope. Wow. On one of the main boulevards, and as you walk to the front, you can't read it, but there is a sign on their big door that says, all are welcome. And Josh shared stories about some Catholic guys that have come, come walked in their doors because they felt that welcome and they met Jesus because that was the common thread that they were worshiping Jesus and that's what they were coming for. And, and now this little you know, fledgling church of, of only two years old, 120 young people that were there uh, worshiping the weekend that we were, uh, we were there. This is the group. Uh, this was after the service, unfortunately, but, but this is the setting. They're in the fellowship hall, and they have got this from the Presbyterian Church, May Street Presbyterian, an old, you know, probably 200-year-old old Presbyterian church, and they've rented this facility to start this church. Now they're, they're busting at the seams. They're, they're overgrown. And just upstairs from that is this, this church. And 1,600 seats and 15 people meet in there every, every Sunday. Wow. 15. 
Annette picked up a, a newsletter down in the thing that is addressed to those 15 people, I guess. And they were talking about how they're going to make a transition. Uh, and they were originally going to give or, or sell it a re way reduced to Rehope so that they would have the whole facility. And then they backed away from that and they decided to plant their own church in that the upper part. And so that's their plan. So they've asked Rehope to move by November. All right, now that sounds bad. Josh, I think his spirit, he, he recognized, you know, that, that God's up to something. They'd need more space. They know that. But he also recognized that the very sign of a Presbyterian on the front door might not say you are welcome because it, it just screams Protestant in the light of the Catholics. And Josh's heart is so unifying that he's getting the other leaders throughout that community, other pastors, other churches, other leaders. He's a networker, and he's brought them already together for some community-wide events that are, are starting to come together in a unified fashion. He gets it. He's answering this very prayer that we're reading this morning, I believe, because Jesus knows apart from that unifying, apart from that oneness, the world is not going to be convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Does that all make sense? This is what's happening right there. So I saw it right there before my eyes, and it's a beautiful thing. So how does that come about? How do you get to that unification? How do you get to that oneness that he's describing there? Churches over the years, denominations, which is just kind of an anomaly to begin with. I mean, isn't that kind of the, the paradox that we call them denominations, and yet it's supposed to be unifying? Sometimes they think it's by signing something or coming to agreement or, um, you know, a, coming along a creed of some sort, that that's the unifying. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's what we would call union. A union is usually an external or an outside agreement that you come to of some kind, okay? But that's not what Jesus is defining here. What he's describing here would only be, be probably shared life like he's describing. Notice that when he says that they may be one, in the same breath he's saying, Father, as you and I are one. Now tuck that away. The, the shared life he's describing is the life he has in the Father that the Father has in him, and now he's including us. He's saying, and, and I'm in you, and we want you to be in us. And so we sang a few minutes ago a new song that we were outwardly confessing, I am a child of God. When you gave your heart to Christ, you became one of the, the family. And so this picture of this unity is a shared life with the Father, the Son, He's in us. And now, guys, the truth is, we are family together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And we use that phrase sometimes, but boy, I'll tell you, as I read this and I live with this, this is more profound than I probably have ever appreciated this idea that we're family. And, and, and the, the conduct, the way we treat... Now, I'll be the first to admit, there's sometimes we have family members that we, we kind of would rather, you know, scoot over here or, or maybe, you know, kinda, but you just don't do that, right? They're family. The good, the bad, the, the, the challenges, the successes, the celebration, everything that goes with it, you're family. And there's something very distinct about that. I, uh, I had a little experience while I was over there, just, uh, you know, I pass on to you. You know, I'm like a lot of Americans that I have uh, roots in Ireland, and 
I took my kids there 20 years ago uh, and went, went to where those roots were, but I, I was just going on sheer memory. I didn't actually think I was going to make it up there, but we had a little bit of, of uh, discretionary time, about 30 miles northwest of Belfast. And now we're driving. I know the name of the town. I didn't have the address or where, where we had gone before, so I was going strictly on memory. And I thought, what am I going to do when I get there? I told her, what are we going to do? Well, here's what happened. We pull into the little town of Garva. It's a village. And the first thing we see on the left-hand side is a second-hand store. And my wife said, oh, look, a second-hand store. You ever seen that bumper sticker, I break for garage sale? Well, that's second-hand store. And I, I pulled right in. Here's what I found on the front steps of the second-hand store. There were these two boys that were sitting there. And, um, and so she went in the store, and I walked up to him, and I said, would either one of you, by chance, uh, know where the Rankin farm is? Maida Rankin, because she was the one that we met 20 years ago. She was old then, and I thought, she's probably not around. And sure enough, she had passed away two years ago. But um, the boy on the right, he says, well, I know where that is. He says, my brother bought the place. And I thought, really? And I started describing. He says, yeah, he tore down the old thing, and then he built this, this new home. And that, now my heart kind of sank a little bit. And he said, come on. And he, and he went out and got in his car. He said, follow me. So we followed down this narrow country road. We pull into this place, and here's this palatial home, this big home. And we pull in there, and it just didn't look familiar. And his brother was standing out there, and we met him out, out there and I started describing what I remembered, and, and, he's, and because he bought the Rankin farm, but there's another, uh, apparently, another Rankin. <laughs> and, and we're up on this hill, and this is what the, the hillside looked like. And he points down a couple of hills over, and he said, you might be talking about the Armstrongs. And he said, I think they were from the, the Rankin bat. I said, well, how do I get there? And he said, well, you go back in town and take the other road. Um, <laughs> And so that's what we did, and we started barreling down this little road, and I just, my heart was kind of pounding fast, and, you know, will, will we see it? Will, will I remember it? And sure enough, I looked on the hillside, and there was Maida Rankin's uh, home, and that's the picture from her front porch. I came back, and I said, where's my, you know, my great-grandfather's house that, that I remember walking, and that's it right there. That's where my great-grandfather, William Stewart, uh, lived in. Grandmother Stuart Mary Rankin lived just a stone's throw, and her house is covered with blackberry bushes, but they're still standing. And when we pulled up, uh, we saw a man and his son out in the field, just happened to be out in the field. And I, I pulled up and I said, do you know where, you know, is this the Rankin farm? He says, yeah. And, and he, he was the owner, and he was out in the field 20 years ago when our family had tea with Maida Rankin. He said, I remember when you were here. I said, can I go back and see my, my, grand, my great-grandfather's house? And I share that because there's just something in your spirit that you're walking around this, and you feel this is family. <laughs> there's a connection there that just is because they're family. You know what I'm talking about? And it just kind of transcends, and that's what Jesus created when he called us out, when he filled you with his spirit, he made you family. He adopted you into the fold, and now we're called to share that life with him, with Christ, and with each other, and that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like. And, uh, and I think, okay, finally, it's hard to see unity, isn't it? 
If we say, oh, well, we're called to, to be unified. Some of you have just been coming to North Shore maybe a few weeks, or maybe this is your first visit. And I suspect that when you come through these doors, maybe for the first or second time, the thing that you're probably most looking for is, do these people like each other? I don't want to say love each other, just like each other. Do they act like they like each other? And that probably is the greatest testimony. And I guess that just leads me to say, friends, what Jesus is enforcing here is that 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 family reality, that love that is there, is the greatest evangelistic thrust to bring people to a believing knowledge of Christ and, and to trust him for the salvation that he's offering. That's what, that's what that looks like. So how do we make it tangible? In the form of application, can I quickly just share three thoughts to consider, okay? This is a, this is a point of application. What does it look like? Can I give you three thoughts to consider? The first one is, is I'm gonna call mutual contact. There has to be mutual contact with each other. And what that, what that means is, is that we, we do not live in isolation. Almost every week we talk about the need and, and the value of getting in, in relationship with one another, of not just coming in individually or isolated and then going out and just, just experiencing this, what we're doing right now, and then thinking that that's it. Friends, until we get into those relational environments, there's true growth and maturity will never, ever happen. And the love we're describing here, that family kind of love, is not gonna happen in this kind of setting. Even though we shake hands, things like that, it's not gonna happen at the level as, as you do when you're in those, those units, those groups. You know, last week, I another team that I appreciate so much is Pastor Paul and his car ministry, you know? Uh, and there were over 140 cars that were out in your lawn last week, and a lot of visitors that were here. And we had three cars donated uh, that we got to auction off, a silent auction, and Paul told me we, we received more funds than we've ever received for this cars ministry through that generosity. And that ministry is designed to help people when they're in crisis and they, they need a car to get to work or whatever, and we can come alongside and literally help them either get it fixed or get it ready to go, and, and that's what we're doing. That's just one of those quiet things that we do here. But I also heard a testimony that a small group took it upon themselves to minister in this way to, to a need that was within that group. That's family. That's what it looks like, and it's happening. Our group met Thursday night and uh, as kind of a midsummer check, and I don't know, 14 folks, 15 folks in a circle, and just going around checking in. What's God doing? What's God been saying? What's happening? And life just happens. Health needs or concerns, you know, some relational things over here, you know. One of them's son was, uh, is a fisherman and was going through a crisis, you know, with his equipment and all this, and, and just testimony. And you just got there, and you just had to put a smile on your face because that's family. It's what it looks like. And it starts with getting, getting in contact with each other. I think the second thing is mutual concern because that's where it takes a, a deeper level of caring for one another. The Scripture says, having purified your souls by your obedience in the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's not just a glancing blow. You know, we come in this morning, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, you know, how you doing? Oh, I'm busy, you know, busy. Good, good, that's good. Well, we'll see you next week, right? It kind of goes like that. And that's not what we're talking about. 
You know, you're talking about really knowing, you know, the details and, and genuinely being concerned and in, in entering into that place. The last word I would just share with you is this word contribution, that there's a mutual contribution. And friends, uh, you know, we're, another, another word beside family that the Scripture uses, we're the body of Christ. And Paul eloquently lays out that the hand needs the foot and the ear needs the eye and we, we need each other. And I just say it out loud, I need you. I need you and I believe you need me. We need each other. We all have a part to play. They're different parts, but they're intended to work together and to contribute. And I challenge you to do some, do some evaluation, some self-evaluation about your love, about your, your, your sincerity uh, toward that, but also are, are, you, are you available to the Lord to be used to the rest of the family here? Are you really available? I, I, can't, I can't system, systematically connect you with this or do this or that. We try our best, but I just find that when you say, Jesus, I am yours and I'm available, that he will orchestrate circumstances. He won't overwhelm you, but he will give you things, and they might be challenging things, but you'll have an opportunity to step out and to be a part and to contribute toward that. As Jesus prayed this prayer, here was one of the lasting impressions from this, this week's section, is that he had to pray for this. He had to pray for this. This was not something that we work or we drum up. This is something that the Holy Spirit brings and gives. As I started off this morning, you know, I, I really can't remember a season where personally I've been more challenged along these lines. And I, I am in a mode of dependence and just keeping my eyes focused on Him and taking each day at a time, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do this time? What step do I need to go in obedience to you, you know? And, and it's just honing in. It's kind of like a refiner's fire. And, and he's bringing some things to the surface that are there, but only the fire can bring them to the top and you can purify them. And, and, and so pray for myself. Pray for your other spiritual leaders here. And, and what, the, you know, because we're kind of in this together. Um, and I... It doesn't surprise me because, like I said earlier, friends, if this truly is the strategy that Jesus intends to create the, the objective of people being convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, the enemy's going to do everything he can to push back and to fight back from that, isn't he? We see it all over. We see churches getting blown up all the time. And all, we, all, all I know to do as your shepherd is to, is to go to him he is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He is over us all. And to look to him because he is our unifying source. It's Jesus and nothing else that brings us together. We're, we're children of God, and we're in the Father and in the Son through the Holy Spirit. And, and if we stay in that posture, I just can't believe that God hasn't something amazing in front of us. That's the best I, best I know. And I, uh, I just challenge you. I, I hope you'll be on this with us because it's an exciting journey. Nothing easy about it, but I'll tell you what, God's at the center of it all, and I think we're going to grow uh, tremendously if we just keep our eyes on him. Amen? You know, as we close in prayer, I'm well aware that this could touch you individually. 
Some of you have been sifting this through an individual scenario. I've mostly we've been talking about our collective sense as a church, but individually it starts there. Just like it started with the disciples, I pray that they be one. Is there a relationship in your, your area that might not be where, where it should be or could be? Do you need to humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, what, what is my part? What do I need to do? And would you be willing to boldly, courageously uh, place yourself out there? You know, he may be speaking to you specifically, and maybe you'd like even to make a tangible expression to him. I, I just want to remind you, you know, we've got places to pray. We've got some kneeling benches. Let's make these our altars this morning if, if you're called to. We've got places back in the back. You can do it right where you're at. But I just, I just hope that we could humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, um, I want to be a unifier. I, w- I want to be part of, of your plan and your strategy to carry out this ultimate purpose. All right? And if we can agree on that, let's pray to that end. Would you stand with me? Father, we, we do come before you just uh, utterly dependent upon your Holy Spirit to do the work that only you can do. I, uh, I know, Lord, that, uh, that as we journey through this life, uh, we're going to have uh, opportunities to grow. And sometimes they don't feel so good. Sometimes they're quite challenging. They're, they're trials that test us. Uh, but we know that you, you have got this, and we know that you have an ultimate plan uh, for us. But I guess just in our heart of hearts, we just need to start off by confessing our need for you. We can't do it on our own. We cannot do this by ourselves. Uh, it's only Christ in us that loves like this or at this measure that shows the grace and, and the forgiveness in some cases. Some of us... Uh, you know, know specifically a scenario where, where there needs to be a mending, a reconciliation, uh, a coming together, a dropping uh, down the barriers and breaking down the walls. And Father, this happens with us individually. It happens as a church. But we even get a, a glimpse globally, like in places of Northern Ireland and the Middle East and other places where these conflicts are so deeply seated. We don't believe it's impossible. We've got guys like, like Josh and Ruth who are committed to being your servants in those areas and to bring the light of Christ and to demonstrate that kind of love and unity. So we pray for all of those, Lord, who are about your business. But we need you today. We, we really do. And just trust you for this. So just speak in this time of response that we'll respond to you as you would have us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's sing together.